Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for um, what we've already learned this morning. And Lord, as we continue to talk about family and as we talk about what really matters, um, Lord, we just ask that you would speak through us and be here in this room. We ask that your Holy Spirit would interpret for us and um, allow us to, uh, when this is all said and done, bring glory and honor to you. Amen. Amen. So um, I kind of laid the groundwork with the first presentation for uh, a very personal testimony that Mark is going to share now, uh, his experience just walking with the Lord and seeking him over, you know, the course of our marriage, being a father. As I told you, we have four children ages 15 to 20, almost 23 at this point. And, you know, we have experienced all of the struggles and all of the temptations and all of the failures <laughs> inherent in family life. And, um, but through all of that have also uh, been experienced just how much the Lord can change a life repeatedly uh, in our lives, certainly in mine um, and in our children's lives and most recently in Mark's. And so he is going to share how the Lord has really kind of um, gotten a grip on his heart over the past year. So if somebody were to ask you, how do you know that there's a God? What would your answer be? What would you say? What would you say if... If, uh, if somebody said, well, how, how do you know that there's really a God? I mean, this is really a, a big question in, in this postmodern age. Uh, you know, how, how, how do we know that there's any relative, is everything relative or absolute, you know? And, and uh, there's a lot of people who just really feel like things are all pretty relative and there's not really any one right way. How do you, what would you say if somebody said, well, how do you know there's a God? Personal testimony is really the biggest thing. I mean, I have to make a bunch of examples, but just in my own life, there's so many ways of seeing God answer prayer in such specific ways that there's no other way it could have been a coincidence than something time and time again. Then hopefully, I have someone right, right on hand to actually share it. Right, so, so personal testimony. Yeah, you know, there's a lot in nature that uh, we could point to that would uh, show the magnificence of God or His, his creative power. Um, you know, there, there would be some that would probably, you know, point to ta Daniel 2 and say, well, look, you know, here's, here's the, the course of history laid out right here for th thousands of years uh, that how could he have known that without having a, you know, a, a God who's all-knowing and all-powerful, who knows the end from the beginning. Um, you know, we can talk about the complexities of life, the sun, the moon, the stars, um, the way the planets revolve. All, all of these things point to the, the heavens declare the, 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 the glory of God, right? And so, you know, those are not bad answers. But let, let me ask you this. How do you know when you're in love? How, how do you know when you're really, really in love? <laughs> I see some hand-holding going on. That's good. Right on. Right on. You know, and I, I guess I'd like to just ask, before I start, how, 
so we've got an engaged couple who's getting married. You guys are married three years. You have children yet? Not yet. Um, any connections with anybody? Mother and son. Mother and son. So you've, you definitely have kids. Yeah, all right. <laughs> corner roof. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. He's in theology and he's looking. Amen. All right. Well, that just gives you a little bit of uh, um, an idea of the, the group that I'm talking with here. But I think um, if I share with you my testimony, Probably many of you will relate to, um, you know, my upbringing and what I what I grew up with. Um, I've always loved God, and even as a child, I um, I had a, a heart for the Lord. Um, but I'm not sure I ever really knew what real love meant at that at that early age and um, I'm a fairly typical Adventist kid I grew up going to Adventist schools I went all the way through college and in, in Adventist universities and and um, I was a good boy you know I didn't do the things that good Adventist boys don't do for the most part but um, you know, I got baptized at about the age of 12. And probably like most of you, I thought that would change everything in my life. And then a few weeks, maybe a few hours later, I realized that I was still the same, uh, you know, sinful person and, you know, very much discouraged by the fact that I wasn't now, uh, you know, like the prophet Daniel or, or something. Um, you know, I was still making mistakes. Um, I went through year after year of Bible classes. Um, I learned about the 2300 days and the three angels messages and Daniel and Revelation and I learned memory verses and could recite, you know, the 10 commandments or the beatitudes or the fruit of the spirit and you know, I was learning all of these facts and all this knowledge <clears throat> but I didn't really have a living, breathing personal relationship with God. I, I knew all about God, and I actually liked all the things I knew about him, and I wanted to have a really deep relationship, and at times I thought, well, maybe I do, but, um, you know, the cares of this world and distractions, and, and I just, I never really, I never really connected with him at the heart level. I see that now more looking back than I did at the time. I, I don't know I could have articulated that at the age of 13 or 15. Um, but I wasn't really hungering and thirsting after righteousness, which I think really is a gift from God um, to have that hunger and that thirst. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room here that, that can relate to that scenario of being um, just nominal in my relationship with God and, and kind of wishing for something more but not knowing how to get there. Um, and I want to be really honest and transparent here this morning. Um, you know, I'm speaking to you as a man who's been broken and as a man who is, um, like Paul said, the chief of sinners. I, I know exactly how he felt 
when he said that, I feel um, like I have no right or um, I haven't earned the right to, to, to stand here and, and, you know, preach to you. I'm, and I don't want it to be a, a sermon. I just want to share what God has done in my life. As you said, personal testimony. Um, you know, when I was in grade school, I was, I was tortured as a kid. I was not one of the cool kids. I was very much, um, just, you know, bullied. Um, kids called me names. Uh, I was usually the last person picked on any kind of a team sport. If they were dividing us up for kickball, you know, they'd say, okay, Mark, you can, you know, I'd be the last guy that they would bring onto the team. And, and, um, you know, I really wanted so badly to fit in, but the harder you try in that situation, the, the worse things get. Uh, you just really uh, cannot, by trying to force yourself into to a situation, make it any better. And uh, I uh, was called a lot of names, um, hurtful things. Um, and I was, I, I was, I was, I had a very painful, um, you know, junior high experience, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. And finally, you know, somewhere in the middle of high school, um, I discovered, well, I, I was really into music. I just, I played the guitar and the piano all the time. I, I, that's all I really wanted to do is, it was probably one of the th only things that I was actually really good at at that point. And so I was just, I spent all my time, rather than being out throwing the football or doing the other thing the other, my peers were doing, I would just be sitting in the corner playing the guitar and writing songs. And somewhere around my junior year, that became a valuable asset at Academy campus. And they were like, oh, can you accompany us for this song? Or can you play for this song service or whatever? And, and so music kind of became my identity. And, and it was my opportunity to have some sort of recognition. This, this attention that I craved started to, to come, and I really soaked it up. So, um, you know, I was very, very willing to take any of the limelight. You know, if the spotlight was aiming at me, I was happy, you know, and, um, and that's a very selfish and self-centered uh, way to live your life. As an only child, you know, I was kind of lonely at home. I, I didn't have siblings to argue with or fight with. And if somebody would have asked me, are you a selfish person? Because, you know, only children are always selfish, right? And I would have said, no, not me. No way, because I love to share my, my toys. You can ride my bike. You can play my guitar. Come on over to my house. I would love to have you play with me. But I didn't realize that selfishness isn't about whether or not you're willing to share your toys. It's something that happens, you know, deep inside your heart. It's a self-centeredness. And, um, you know, I was never able to honestly assess myself. I always um, painted everything and skewed everything to my benefit. You know, if something went wrong at school, I avoided letting my parents know about it. If you know, I did, they didn't know I, they, that I was picked on and tortured. I just wanted everything to be, you know, rose-colored and plastic-coated and bright and cheery. And so I painted my own reality that really wasn't true. I lied to myself. I lied to my parents. It wasn't that I was 
dishonest, you know, like lying purposely. I was just coloring things for my own, you know, skewing of my own uh, reality. Um, I hated conflict. Um, and so I would avoid conflict at, all, at all, almost any cost. I just, I hated, you know, um, arguments and fights. If my mom and dad got into a, an argument, you know, I would retreat and, you know, go to another room. I didn't want to have to deal with those type of issues. Uh, so anyway, I was, I just wanted everything to look good, and that's about as deep as I ever got. You know, I was just, I was a pretty shallow person, and I didn't realize that, but, um, you know, I was looking pretty good on the surface by the time I was graduating from high school and going off to college. Uh, I, you know, started being a lifeguard and I got, you know, fit and I was tan and working at camp during the summer and playing the guitar for song service after, after the campfire and stuff. And, and so, you know, if you'd looked at me, you'd have thought, oh, well, he's, he's, he's getting things together and things are going well for him. But, the reality is, is I was very self-centered and very self-seeking and, and wanted, like I said, to crave the limelight. Um, when, you, when you live like this, uh, you kind of wind up rationalizing a lot of things. Sometimes you wind up doing things for approval of friends that you wouldn't, you know, want your parents to find out about. Um, things that you'd do privately that you'd never do publicly. And I struggled with some of those things while I was in college. Um, and, uh, you know, rationalization, like all of these moral disengagement uh, mechanisms that Kana was talking about during the first session, I, I was the master of all of them. You know, I, I was pretty much morally disengaged by the time I was in college. And, you know, I could get up in front and at church and lead a song service and feel really good about myself, and I'm a, I'm a good guy, and I'm a church guy, but I was not connected with God. I wasn't living um, a moral lifestyle. Uh, I, at one point, I thought I wanted to be a pastor. In fact, I grew up thinking I was gonna be a pastor, but then when I got into college, I didn't fit in with the theology crowd, and I, I shifted over into communication, and. And I found out that I really had an eye for graphic design, and that was one more way that I could get um, a lot of uh, pats on the back and kudos. I eventually wound up, you know, doing big picture projects for things, people like Doug Batchelor or Mark Finley, and working for the Adventist Review and being the designer for the magazine and, and doing book covers that you'd find in an Adventist bookstore. And, you know, I craved all of that kind of uh, the, the, the glory that came from being a you know a good designer and and um, but it didn't make me the kind of person um, that was uh, very easy to be close to. Um, it's not easy to be married to an egomaniac, and um, I was really narcissistic at the core. I mean, I was self-centered, selfish, and just really kind of viewed the world from a very myopic, you know, I was very nearsighted, so very, very nearsighted. And, um, you know, especially hard to, to, to be close to somebody like that when they don't realize it. You know, if you, it's one thing if you say, oh man, I'm a selfish person, I need to not be that way. But when you, 
when you don't even realize it, it it's just it's really miserable and you know when Kana and I met there was no question at all that God brought us together we fell in love immediately and we were married within 6 months it was it's a great story I'd love I'd love to tell it to you but it would take the rest of the the time but it's 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 a it's a neat story how we met uh, she was singing with the heritage singers and she came through town you know and that was probably part of my narcissistic view of the world you know hey I married a heritage singer, you know, and she's got this beautiful voice and can play the violin, and boy, she makes me look good, you know. I can admit that now. I would have never even thought that then, but that was really the core of who I was. And um, our honeymoon was very short-lived. Um, we were married for four months when we discovered that Emily Beth was on the way, and she was born just a few days after our first anniversary. And... Um, you know, as soon as there were children added into the mix, um, it was pretty inconvenient because, you know, instead of her focusing all of her attention on me when I came home, uh, she had this little, you know, um, yeah, well, it, it, was, it was, you know, a growth coming off of the side of her that was demanding 100% of her time and attention. And, um, you know, I felt like there was competition now between me and the kids for her attention. And so that kind of set me up for, and all of this I'm realizing in hindsight. I'm not, I wasn't just, you know, like really thinking it all through at the time. Um, but there were these frustrations and I didn't really articulate what they were. Like I said, I was kind of shallow. So, um, she, you know, this set up a situation where at home, Kana was really lonely. You know, I was out doing music with one of my friends from church. We had a thing going, and we were working on an album and doing all of these, you know, ministry things. And I had, you know, my career, and I was working at the hospital and working for the, you know, just doing all this important stuff. And, and really, Kana just had to focus herself on being the mom that she was called to be and and raising the family, and she felt like she was, a, you know, kind of a single mother with, with a guy who would swoop in and, you know, take any credit for, you know, when people would say, oh, you guys are such a beautiful family, and I'd be, you know, so happy to hear that, but I was really kind of on the outside of the fishbowl looking in, and um, bring three more kids into the mix, and, uh, you know, at that point, um, life was very hectic, but I was, I was still, I just was on the outside looking in. And um, I, I've, I've realized that I was, I was present, but I was passively present, which is very different than being actively present. When you're actively present in a relationship, you are engaged, you are going deeper, you're dealing with the messes of life, because life is messy. And um, of course, I already told you I didn't like conflict, and and messes are conflict, and conflict is messy, and and I just I just kind of disengaged from all of that kind of stuff, and that was really um, challenging for Kana to have to deal with. Um, the, the fact that I'm sharing this with you 
which is actually quite uncomfortable, by the way. Um, hopefully, you can tell that something is, has happened in my life to help me to be able to actually see myself more honestly. Um, and I'm going to tell you about that, but before we get there, I want to tell you a couple more pieces of the puzzle. Um, at the time that I'm, at this point in time, I'm, we're still living in Orlando. Um, our kids are still preschool age at this point, and um, I'm working at Florida Hospital. And we went on a trip out to Montana on vacation and fell in love with the beautiful mountains and the countryside. And it was almost more than we could bear to go back to the rush hour traffic and crowded, crowded, crowded nature of, of um, Orlando. And we were looking around at our church and our, our friends' kids that were older than our kids and what they were doing and the things they were getting into and listening to this and watching these kind of movies and watching. And we were like, we don't want our kids to do that. We, we, we want to raise them differently. And so we, we prayed about it and the Lord opened the opportunity for for us to move to Montana. And I you know, worked for myself and started doing freelance graphic design out there. And we had pretty much an idyllic setting. This was in the year 2000. And, and um, Emily Beth and Chelsea were, were what, about three, four and five at the time, five and six. And Taylor was about a year and a half old. And Adriana was just you know, maybe two months old at the time. And um, so we, uh, we wound up getting a little cabin and we wound up with horses and goats and chickens and and uh, living on a on a river in the through the back of the woods and I mean it was it was kind of a little house on the prairie but little house in the big woods it was a beautiful situation and my my office was in the barn just across the field and you know I was present but again I was not actively present I was passively present and during that time, I kind of went through um, a spiritual revival as much as you can without really truly just like being completely sold out to God. I, I always, like I said, I've, I've always loved the Lord. I've always loved my wife. I've always loved my family. But it was kind of at a surface level. And I feel like in some ways I was at the top of the Grand Canyon with a stick and trying to dig for water. <laughs> and, and the family was down there, you know, on a raft taking the rapids, you know. There was some calm times and there were some really exciting times. But I was just kind of like up on the edge looking down and, and, and I wasn't really going deeper. Not deeper with God, not deeper with Kana, not deeper with the kids. I was just there. And, um, you know, we were, we were, uh, doing religious things. I was an elder in the church. I was giving sermons. I, you know, we would go out and sing on 3ABN with our kids for kids' time and do all of these kind of neat things. But I still, there was this hunger for something more, but like I said, I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how, how to get there. Um, if there were conflicts or fusses or fights that every uh, family faces, uh, if Kana was frustrated with me, uh, which, you know, to her credit, was not nearly as much as she deserved to be frustrated with me. Um, but I would just clam up and just kind of sit there and, you know, heavy sigh and hang my head and, 
you know, say, I, I don't know, you know, and I, she's like, there's something more in there, but where is it? What, you know, she would see glimpses of, of maybe who I could be, the potential of who I was, but it was like there was a, a plexiglass wall between us somehow. Um, we were together, but not fully engaged. And I just want to say that Kana loved me very deeply all along. There were frustrations, to be sure, but she never wavered in her commitment to me and her love for me. Um, I lament that it took as long as it did for me to finally see the light. Um, after eight years in Montana, and they were really great years, um, but after eight years there, um, I got a call from a colleague who um, was vacating a position as the communication director for the Southwestern Union. And that's down in Texas. I had graduated from Southwestern Adventist University, so I knew the area well. Um, and they were asking me to come down and interview for a position as the, the editor of the magazine and the communication director for the union office there. And, um, you know, that, that was a pretty high profile position for me. And I was all too eager to accept that calling uh, and the, uh, you know, patting on the back that would come from that. I was, you know, again, still seeking the limelight. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, a dangerous thing when somebody who, who loves the idea of loving the Lord is put into a leadership position because, you know, you don't have the foundation there that you really need to be in that position of, of honor or leadership. And, and I can honestly say that many of the, the leaders that I've worked with are very, very rooted and godly men. I know there are some that are like me that are just kind of going through the, that we're going through the motions. Um, and, and I don't know how I could have seen it differently at the time. I didn't know how to, I did, like I said, I just didn't know how to, to connect. Um, I poured myself into that important position. There was a lot of traveling, a lot of time on the road. We had this, you know, five states and I was, you know, in Oklahoma one weekend and, uh, New Mexico the next, and Arkansas the next, and somewhere down in Texas the next. And you know, I was like constantly running, doing, and taking pictures, and writing stories. And um, at that point, I feel like the the ground that we had gained in Montana, really, we we just you know, even though I was, you know, about the, my father's business, so to speak, it really my I know my first business was at home, but I. I really dropped the ball on the home front at that point. And working for the church, I know it can be a wonderful thing for many, many families, but I also know that if you're not really connected to God first and family second, that your family suffers significantly. And so many pastors and their children and, and people in leadership have, have had similar stories to mine. Um, Three years later, I got called to, to Denver to work at the Rocky Mountain Conference, and, and um, that was a good thing because it, it made us closer. The, the girls had always wanted to go to Walla Walla for university, and it put us close enough that we could actually have them there. It was really a long ways from Texas, but not quite so far from Denver. And um, 
so Emily, Beth, and Chelsea started at, at the university there in Walla Walla immediately. And, and about six or eight months later, Kana had the opportunity to go teach a class, an adjunct class, for one quarter um, to fill in for somebody who wasn't, uh, wasn't there at the university. And so she taught an ethics class. And it went really well. And they wound up offering her a full-time professorship at the university which was really kind of cool because then she could be with Emily Beth and Chelsea and like she said earlier, she had the opportunity to continue homeschooling our kids uh, even at the university level, which is not every, uh, not every homeschooling mom gets to do that. But um, you know what, I was proud of her for doing that. We prayed a lot about it. It was very clear that the Lord was opening the door for, for us to do that, but it meant that now as a family we were living in two cities and 18 hours apart by car. Um, and so we would see each other maybe once a month, maybe once every two months. They would come home for Thanksgiving. They'd come home for Christmas. They were living out of suitcases, kind of in a just temporary situation there in Walla Walla because our home was in Denver. And um, we were fractured. We were very much a fractured family. And because of the fact that I was very clear in my mind that the Lord had opened the door and he had called her there, like, well, God won't call us to something that he won't see us through, you know? And, and so I was kind of in denial of the fact that we were really kind of splintering apart. And um, during that time, I started, and I wouldn't really admit it to myself at the time, but I started really feeling actually relieved when they were gone because I could actually focus on my work. I could focus on, on ministry. I could focus on you know, the things that I was doing uh, that were so important without the distraction of the mess of family life. And I was, I was very, I was starting to develop an identity apart from my family, which was not God's plan. But it, by, by this January, it had come to the point where it was very clear to all of us that we needed to make a change. And Kana was very willing to come back. She wasn't married to the position in Walla Walla, but we needed her income because the kids were in school. We got four kids in, in, in uh, Adventist schools, and that's pretty daunting financially. And, um, and, and then, of course, with Adriana and Taylor, Adriana was a freshman this year, so she's got four years of high school, then four years of college. So we're looking at, at the next seven or eight years of, of kids being in Walla Walla, and do we really want to relocate and be completely planted in Denver when our kids are all you know, 18 hours away? We want to be a family together. And it really didn't make sense to bring them all back to Denver where there's not a college. And, and uh, so, you know, but I, I still, I couldn't see clear to how I was going to, you know, step away from the work that I was doing at the church. And, uh, you know, I was just, we felt, we felt trapped. And um, I was really in denial um, and kind of feeling like, You know, maybe, maybe things were actually better when we were apart. We don't argue when we're apart. We see each other for little bits of time, and everything's happy. 
and then and then you know, we can be apart. And you know, I was, I was truly just again self selfish, self centered, um, and, and very kind of just morally bankrupt. I think is probably the best way to describe it. And um, in January, after a particularly hard week, um, I had worked probably 40 hours by Tuesday that particular week. And um, at the end of it, I was just spent. I had to go up to camp for a youth prayer conference and taking pictures and video and working around the clock for that. And I had kids from my church up there that I was kind of mentoring. and. And at the end of that weekend, I was just completely spent and drained. And I thought, you know what? I'm taking some comp time. I'm driving to Walla Walla. So on Monday morning, I got in the car and started driving to Walla Walla. And, and you know, sometimes you think, well, I want to surprise them. But, but I, I just couldn't help myself. I, I had to call her and say, I'm on my way to you. You know, I'm coming to you. And I was actually so happy. It was like the happiest I had been in years, just driving to Walla Walla. And, and, we actually FaceTimed for a few minutes with our phones, and so she could see my, she's like, you look so happy. And I was like, I am. I'm really, really happy. I'm so excited to be coming. And at this point, I didn't know how, but I knew that, I knew that something had to change. And, and I, I hung up the phone, and I started praying, and I said, Lord, whatever it takes, change me change my heart, change my mind, break me. I don't care what it takes, but save my family, save my marriage, save, save me. And it wasn't just a few days later that I was having a very deep heart conversation with Connor, and she was staring at my eye, staring me in in the eyes, and you know, she said, Mark, I just don't feel like you feel what we're feeling. I don't feel like you actually understand the depth of our sorrow. And, and I, at that moment, I realized it was like, I, I can't, I, I, I want to. I want to feel that sorrow. I want to feel that engaged. And yet I'm, I feel like I'm somehow stunted in that area in my life. Like, I can't even cry when I feel like I should be crying. I can't even connect when I feel like I should be connecting. And, and, and I admitted it. I actually said, I feel like I've never been able to truly feel things deeply. Like, I watch you and the kids, and, and you're so deep with each other. And I've always felt like I'm on the outside looking in. And it was like just being honest at that moment, being able to articulate what was in my heart was the beginning of a watershed that allowed me to see myself for the first time for the selfish, self-centered wretch that I actually was. And it's at that point that the Lord was then able to, to reach in and start to change my heart. And it wasn't a slow process. I know, you know sometimes change happens very slowly. I really feel like, you know, Paul on the road to, to Damascus had this complete 
paradigm shift of life. You know, the scales fell off of his eyes and he was no longer persecuting Christians. He was a Christian. And um, I, I really feel like um, that happened to me in a miraculous way. There's really no way I can describe it. But I was seeing things. That, I mean, the, the sound of my voice changed. I was talking. Kana actually, she's like, kids, could you come in here? I want you to hear daddy's voice right now. <laughs> um, it, it was such a very palpable change. And it was, it was miraculous. I could, I could see. I once was blind, but now I see, right? And um, I wanted to go deeper, deeper with the kids, deeper with Kana, and deeper with God. Um, I craved honesty. I craved transparency, which were things that I very much shied away from before, because to be honest would be to, like, you know, tear down this pretty plastic facade, right? And, and I, so for the first time in my life, I really wanted to be honest. And um, Paul says it this way, and, and, and I really think there's some really good meat here, so I wanted to read these verses, but you've, you've heard the text. Do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And also he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're familiar with those verses. Read them all my life. Wondered how that could happen. That would be great. Uh, it wasn't working for me, but why did it take more than 40 years for it to happen? And when it did, it was truly like a miraculous change overnight for me. But I want to read those verses to you in context. Um, if you have your Bibles or iPads or phones or uh, electronic devices. Um, let's go to Romans 12 together. We'll read the first three verses of Romans 12. It was interesting because I was thinking about those verses as it related to the change that happened to me. And so I had to go read them. And when I read them, I discovered something about myself in these verses. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, that everyone who is among you is not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Did you get that? Uh, the beginning of it is to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And, and I actually had done that I had said, Lord, whatever it takes, you know, break me. I, and, 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 then, and then here it says in verse 3, for anyone who's among you should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That was really the sin of, of my core being. That was, that was my value. 
My value was not love, my value was self. And I was selfish to the core. And I had thought of myself as more highly than I should have all my life. And I had never been able to even admit that to myself. Here's the second verse in context. context. If you want to go to Philippians 2. Again, we'll re read the first few verses of Philippians uh, chapter 2. Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love and being of one accord, of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the others better than himself. Wow. Okay. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's the, the context of the next verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Which mind is it? It's this mind of lowliness of spirit, of, of self, and putting others' needs above our own, right? Let this mind be which in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. The selfless mind, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I was all about reputation. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let this mind be in you. Putting others' needs first, thinking nothing of ourselves becoming a servant, being willing to lay down our lives. Now, although this miraculous change happened overnight for me, and you can ask Connor and the kids about my inability to fake sincerity. I can't do it for five minutes, much less for five months. Um, but I want to be clear that although I have a much clearer vision now, I realize better than ever that I have, I have a long ways to go. I have not reached the mark. The change was immediate, but sanctification is the work of a lifetime. Amen. And I, and, but, but by the grace of God, and I am on that path, and I see where I'm headed, and it's a very different view today than it was six months ago. At, very quickly, we made the decision to um, relocate completely. Over spring break, we moved all of our furnishings to uh, Walla Walla. Some of them are in storage, and some of them are in our little rental place that we're renting right now. Um, and the Lord was very, very gracious to us in, in ways that we don't deserve. But you know, um, before I even made the announcement that I was going to start working freelance again, clients were calling me saying, hey, I know you're working at the conference and you're busy, but could you squeeze in a project here or there? And, and, and I could tell them, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going back into freelance graphic design. It was like the children of Israel, when they stepped into the water, the water parted. And by making the decision to, to do what I needed to do to be with my family, to be with Kana, to be there every day, um, the Lord blessed that decision with work. And so 
you know, I've been very busy and been blessed to be busy, and I en enjoy, uh, I'm enjoying re reconnecting with clients that I haven't worked with for six years because they were uh, doing other things while I was working for the church. And, um, but I'm also very, very aware of the fact that, in fact, I, I find myself sitting in front of my computer starting projects now, bowing my, heads and my, my head and saying, Lord, please help me with this project. Give me the creativity I need to, to bring glory to you through what I'm about to do on the screen. You know? And so it's, I'm approaching everything from a very different perspective. Um, and anyway, uh, each day I find myself truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I find myself drinking deeply from the well of grace and, and digging into scripture. And, and I, you know, Khan and I are like almost on a, on a second honeymoon where we're, we're getting to know each other really for the first time. It's not that she hasn't known who I was all along, but she's, she, sometimes she looks at me and she's like, who are you? <laughs> Where did you come from? And, and we're talking at deeper levels than we ever have, and we're, we're, we're connecting at the heart instead of at the, at the surface, you know? And it's what I, I always longed for but didn't know how to get there, and it's somehow this renewing of the mind that God was willing to do I really feel like I, I had a heart transplant and a, and a brain transplant. Um, what a miracle. Um, but the point is this. What, what did it take me to be prepped? What was the pre-op procedure for this heart transplant and this brain transplant? As I've looked back and thought about it, and, and it's a gift in and of itself because it took me being to a point of being willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes whatever it takes. Change my heart, change my mind, heal my family, heal my marriage. And when I prayed whatever it takes, I truly, I mean, like, my mind was visualizing, Lord, if you have to hit me with a heart attack or cancer or financial ruin or whatever it is, Lord, I'll take anything. I was willing to take what, it, I mean, when I was praying it, I was praying that kind of risky prayer, you know, Lord, whatever it takes. But I was ready to face it at that moment, and I think the Lord saw the, the honesty of my heart as I was reaching out to him. And God opened my eyes to my own deep, consuming selfishness, and it was then that I really saw myself for the wretch that I had been. And um, I think it's probably the same, you know, they, they talk about in a 12-step program, you know, hi, my name is Mark and I'm an alcoholic, right? You know, you have to be able to admit that you have a problem in order to have uh, a solution, right? And I had never been able to admit, hi, my name is Mark and I'm a narcissist. You know, I'm a selfish, you know, completely self-centered person. And, and it was at that, that point where I could actually see that, that the Lord could then go in and, and remove the old and put in a new. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I do know that we're all born selfish. We're all self-centered without the miracle of change that comes from Jesus. Um, I, can, I, I, I can finish with 
the way things have changed in the last five months, you know, my kids are saying things like, Dad, we have a real father for the very first time in our lives. You know, it used to be that, that Emily Beth, she's in Hawaii now, and she would call and talk to Kana, and, and I might be able to listen in on speakerphone or whatever, but it was like the, the conversations were all with mom. Now I get calls to me, and they're like telling me what's going on in their lives, and I really, really care. And it's like I'm, I'm rejoicing with each, with each victory, and I'm crying with them when they're having problems and challenges. Um, and I'm praying with them, not just you know, empty prayers that sound good, but, but really praying earnestly for their salvation and, and for, for wisdom and vision. You know, I, I want them to see clearly, like I'm seeing clearly for the first time. I don't want them to wait until they're 48 years old to catch this vision, right? Um, and Kana and I uh, are experiencing a new level of, are we out of time? A, a new level of connectedness that we never have. And in fact, I, we, we renewed our wedding vows last Friday evening. And I want, can I share them with you? I just want to read them to you real quick and then we'll, we'll wrap up. What I wrote to Kana in, in the vows was this, Kana, I have loved you since the moment we met, but I've realized that over the last 25 years, my love for you was only a fraction of what it should have been. I've been self-centered and self-focused. I feel like I have failed more than I have succeeded, and I've only been on the sidelines rather than participating. Why it took me nearly a quarter of a century to understand the depths of what true love really means, I don't know. But I am so thankful to have finally begun to grasp what it means to love. I'm beginning to know what it means to find joy in putting another needs before my, another's needs before my own. I'm beginning to fathom what it means to long for transparency and honesty, to connect at the heart, to truly be one. I once was blind, but now I see. I mourn the time lost, the moments gone that I might have been truly present at a deeper level. But I move forward with a dogged determination to live in your presence, to be completely plugged into your heart. By the grace of God, I have received a heart transplant. I have new vision. I see myself more honestly. I understand and acknowledge my failures. I now know what it means to give of myself, to invest of myself, to truly love unselfishly. Kana, as I take your hand again in marriage, I vow to probe deeper when you tell me everything is fine. I promise to invest time weeding the garden of your heart. I will nurture you and tenderly treasure you. I will be your biggest fan. I will attempt to love you at least as well as you have loved me all these years. When you tell me that you need space, I will not give it. When you are feeling lonely, I will sit with you and hold you and never let you go. I will continue to study you and learn of you and discern your ways. I will spend the rest of my time, my days, earning an advanced degree in you. I have experienced much forgiveness, and I am experiencing much love. But that love is not merely because of the mercy. It's not just because of what I've received from you. It's because of who you are, the wife you are, the love you give, the love you have shown our children, the joy you bring to random strangers by showing kindness, the wisdom you impart to your students, the compassion you show each person who's the underdog, and thousands of reasons more. I find amazing grace welling up inside me every time I see your face. I love you is such an impotent phrase in trying to express the depths of my love to you. Adore, cherish, love, I do. So let me ask you again, you, 
How do you know when you're in love? You can just know, right? Because you want to spend time with that person, you want to spend every second you have with that person. You're either hungering and thirsting for them or you're passively disengaged. Back in the beginning, if, if you had asked me how I know there's a God, I would have waxed eloquently about the amazing intricacies of life and the universe. I would have talked about the planets and the stars and about the miracles of holding a newborn baby in your hands. All valid points. But if you ask me now, I'll tell you about the miracle of a changed life. I'll tell you how God, what God did for me that I could never even do for myself, that I couldn't even see my own need. C.S. Lewis asks, asks a question in mere Christianity, something to the effect of, so if there is a God, the real question is, what will you do with him? In essence, how, is, how has he changed your life? And that answer can never, is that we can never actually change our own lives. We have to be willing to allow God to change us. For without me, you can do nothing, right? But with Christ, all things are possible. So my prayer for you is that you would ask God to allow his heart to become your heart, to allow his mind to become your mind, and to be, able to be willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, change me. Did you want to say something in closing, Connor? So it's been a rather eventful year for us as a family. Um, we had, we've had 24 wonderful years, but it was never anything like this. And it was a very lonely 24 years for most of it, I have to say. Um, the interesting thing for me, though, was all of the years that I remember telling him, you know, get over yourself. <laughs> you know, all the sermons that I thought I was preaching, you know, I, I had a similar experience before we got married when I was about 25. And I could not understand why I couldn't see it, you know, about himself. But all the sermons that I preached and all the anger that I showed and all of the, you know, the frustration was never had no effect in changing him. And now I look back and, you know, I wish that I could have been a little kinder, a little more loving, a little more patient. But here's the bigger picture. I also realized that who he is now, which is distinctly different, I mean distinctly different. We, we were just kind of horsing around in our bed a few nights ago, and Adriana, who's 15, I said, isn't it nice to have Daddy back? And she said, back? We have him for the first time. <laughs> I mean, it's that distinct to our children. They still, we look at him like he's a ghost. You know, it's just that different. Um, he's always been a good guy, but this is something different and miraculous. Um, but I realized that I always, in all the time that I was loving him in 24 years, I saw him as he is now. And I realized that I could not help but love him in the same way that the Lord cannot help but love us in our wretchedness. He sees beyond the mask and he sees through the plexiglass. He knows what we're capable of in him. And it's in his time that these changes are made. But I knew then, you know, it was I, the frustration level had reached a peak where we were about to break. But when I realized how the Lord had loved him through me the way the Lord loves me, you know, in my wretchedness, 
I saw a bigger picture, a much more beautiful story that started long ago, long before we even met and were married. And so in a way, our life together, our, our marriage, our family life has represented in some ways the entire plan of salvation. And, and it is truly a beautiful story. So we'll pick up there and, and get together again later this afternoon. What time? 3.15. All right, let's, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for the miracle of changed lives. Thank you for hope that we can cling to when we fail. Thank you for being present with us, for not being a disengaged God, but being so truly lovingly engaged in our lives, even when we aren't. Please change us, Lord, whatever it takes. Help us to love you and love each other and love others as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.